Welcome to All Things Green. I'm Shelby, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. Doug Smith is a U.S. Air Force veteran and a law student at Case Western Reserve University with an interest in using law to fight for the environment. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks. Great to be here. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit more about your career in the Air Force and also what you're doing now in law school, but why don't we just start by getting to know you a little bit better. So tell me, where are you from? Definitely. Uh, growing up, uh, my dad was a scientist, mm -hmm. so I was born in Wisconsin and then, uh, because he was research in research science, moved around a little bit. Uh, when we lived in Massachusetts, that's when I decided to join the military. Mm -hmm. um, well, I was living in Massachusetts. That's when 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the main inspiring point to get me to enlist. Mm -hmm. And uh, also had some family members in the military. So I figured now's my chance to do it and then hopefully for a good cause. Yeah. And, you know, you just mentioned two different states. Did you move around a little bit growing up? Yes. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, I moved around a little bit growing up. Moved around quite a bit in the military, too, as it's expected. Yes, definitely. I can relate to that. My dad uh, was a U.S. Army veteran, is a U.S. Army veteran, and uh, I moved nine times before I left for college, so that's very relatable. What are some of the places that you were growing up and then maybe places you were stationed once you joined the Air Force? Yep, so joined the military for Massachusetts, mm -hmm. and then once I joined the military, I went to the Explosive Ordnance Disposal School, which is in Eglin, Florida, which is right there mm -hmm. on the Panhandle by Destin, beautiful cool. area. Yeah. Then from there, went to McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey, and then from McGuire back to the Panhandle as an instructor at the EOD schoolhouse, mm -hmm. and then went to F.E. Warren Air Force Base in Wyoming, then Japan in wow. Misawa, and then back to Wright-Patterson. Cool. And so Wright-Patterson in Dayton, and then that's what brought us to the Ohio region, and so that's what got us here. Awesome. Okay, so you mentioned this, this terminology, EOD. Will you define that for me? Yeah, definitely. So EOD in the military, all four branches have it, and it's known as explosive ordnance disposal. Okay. And it's kind of like the military bomb squad. Oh, okay. Wait, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need you to paint more of a picture of that for me. Yeah. That's quite a powerful image. Yeah, definitely. It's a, quite a, it's a job where you have a really diverse mis mission set, mm -hmm. uh, very rewarding. Uh, one of the main components of it is to try to keep people safe from explosive hazards on a mm -hmm. battlefield. Probably what it's more commonly known as is, especially in the war on terror, like uh, diffusing IEDs in Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But actually, another big component of it is the environmental piece. And so what's in a lot of those IEDs and other sets of those uh, other aspects of those mission sets is getting rid of old ordnance and old remnants of war, which is mm -hmm. also known as hazardous waste. Got it. So it sounds like you're talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, taking care of this sort of like remnants of bombs and things, both during active war, but also afterwards. So you're protecting not just uh, members, service members in the military, but also civilians that live in those areas. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're seeing it a lot on the news and uh, all the weapons all over the place. And that counts as, you know, things that are dropped from planes, things that are shot out of artillery, uh, landmines, and then things that are improvised or essentially made behind the scenes by somebody. And so what happens is a lot of those things will build up in those areas and is essentially hazardous waste and really dangerous mm -hmm. to the environment and 
and people. And then you also see that in other aspects too, where you know, in the military pilots and soldiers and airmen, they have to practice. And so what that also turns into is in the practice ranges or the bombing ranges and stuff like that is you, you'll see that and it'll accumulate out there on the ranges. And so that hazardous waste essentially accumulates out there. And so one of the jobs for an EOD tech is to go out there and essentially clean it up and mm. kind of reduce the amount of waste that's on like those target sites and stuff like that. This might sound like an obvious question, but what makes it hazardous waste? It's already, you know, especially if they're practicing, it's already been fired out of a gun or whatever has happened yeah. to it. And you can tell my ignorance in this field, but what makes it hazardous when it's just a shell or just the remnants of something like well, that? Well, there's a lot of depends there. Sure, sure, I'm sure. So uh, a lot of times too, they might not go off. So yeah, if the bomb doesn't go off, you know, then you have something that could be really dangerous. If you touch it or move it, it could go off. Mm. And that's really dangerous. Uh, you also have old pieces of metal out there. You have, if it is, if the practice munition does contain live explosives, the live explosives could be toxic and have chemicals in it. Uh, there could be batteries and other toxic materials within the ordinance itself. Got and it. So let, yeah, helping to clean that up. One is the obvious hazard that it's an explosive device, but then two, just the other envir potential environment, environmental impacts that go along with it. So those chemicals or hard metals are soaking into the soil, I'm assuming can probably infiltrate water systems. Those are some of the environmental concerns we're thinking about beyond just safety, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Got it. So how yeah. long were you doing that work? So I joined in July of 2003 mm -hmm. and then had stuck with it ever since mm -hmm. and then just recently retired from it here in August. Congratulations. Thanks for your service. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, tell me about what that looked like. You know, you told us that you did some training with other people on how they can work in this sort of job within the military, but what did it look like for you? Were you stationed abroad? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. And so out of the bases that I was stationed at, I got to do an overseas base, which was great being in mm -hmm. Misawa, Northern Japan, beautiful mm -hmm. place to be. Doing then, EOD work specifically? Yes. Mm -hmm. Doing EOD work there. But then part of it too, when you're moving around, you go on deployments and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And so while I was in, I did six deployments mm -hmm. uh, to various places around the world. Some of them include uh, Afghanistan. So I've been to Afghanistan twice, mm -hmm. been to some other places that weren't combat zones. So I got to go to a place called Diego Garcia, which mm -hmm. is the middle of the Indian Ocean, and mm -hmm. then South Korea and mm -hmm. Kyrgyzstan, and then some other places throughout. You know, when we were talking off air, you told me a little bit about Diego Garcia, uh, your time there. So can you tell the audience about what you saw when you were in Diego Garcia? Yeah, definitely. And I would say, uh, like, my military experience included a lot of different environmental aspects. And I think mm -hmm. when people think of EOD, they're not thinking of, like, getting rid of ordinance as being, like, a positive impact in the environment. And so that was a huge impact or contributing factor to get inspired to kind of make my next career dedicated to the military. But also when you're in the military, you get to travel a lot and you get mm -hmm. to see a lot of these areas, you know? Uh, and so one of the things that I noticed in the Pacific, especially traveling out to Diego Garcia is kind of just the human footprint out there, you mm -hmm. know? And it's kind of stunning because you can go to these, you go to this remote island in the middle of nowhere. And as you're flying over the ocean, you can see trash, you can see just ships um, and the amount of garbage washing up on the, the shores there on the island out there is, you know, it's kind of impressive and you, it kind of puts it in perspective, you know, 
the amount of effort I think that we should be putting into like being more sustainable and mm-hmm. reducing our footprints all over. And you're talking about an island that's so remote that I had never even heard of it until I was playing a game called Worldle, which is like Wordle, if you're familiar, the little word game, except that they show you a picture of a country uh, with no context clues. It's just the outline of it. And then you have to figure out what it is. And when I got to the end, I was like, what is Diego Garcia and had to look it up. So this is not a place that's inhabited by lots and lots of people or, I mean, it's really just a a base, right? And you're still seeing trash washing up on shore and that human footprint. Yeah. While I was there too, uh, that was later on in my career. So it's after I started, uh, I started my environmental science bachelor's degree. And then I started working on my master's degree for environmental science. And so by that point in time, I was really interested in like anywhere I went, I tried to see like, Hey, what's the environmental issues going on here and then reached out to there was an office there of environmental scientists mm. working on stuff out there and one of the things that I found really interesting out there that they worked on was again so you see the trash out there but turned into the microplastics and the microplastics yeah. got into the sand which increased the temperature of the sand which then influenced mm. you know like the breeding patterns of turtles oh and so yeah like going out there and just and when you travel, you get to see this thing. You can go and you engage and you talk to different people. And then you can see, like, oh, the trash is out there. But then, like, the actual impacts of it, then it goes further down into, you know, how it affects the biodiversity and just yeah. the aesthetics and everything that, that's going on. You mentioned that your bachelor's degree. So you earned your bachelor's and you said and your master's both while you were in the service? Yeah, definitely. And so, like I said... I joined the military because of 9-11, had no idea that I would be interested in doing environmental work later on. And Mm -hmm. so when I joined the military, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to go to school for and kind of figured I'd hopefully find my path along the way. Um, And so while I was in, again, doing the EOD stuff, you go out to the bombing ranges and you're, you know, you're cleaning up hazardous waste. But, you know, the other interesting aspects about it is so you have a bombing range, you're doing this thing, it's so destructive but it's an isolated area. Mm. And so you'll have these like impact areas where say pilots are dropping bombs, but that's fenced off. And Mm. then on the fences, they have signs like, Hey, stay out. There's ordinance here. Don't pick it up. Don't touch it. Stuff like that. And so you have a much outside of, you know, the pilots out there dropping bombs on targets. You have an area that's relatively untouched. Mm. And so you'll see stuff out there and there's projects out there depending on what ranges you go to, you know, they'll, they'll have like exotic species out there, a lot of Mm. biodiversity because there's not a lot of human activity out there. And so when I first exposure to that was when I was stationed in McGuire in New Jersey and they would go out, environmental scientists would go out to the range out there and do like water testings Mm -hmm. or something else like that. And so they would call our office up and say, hey, we're going out to this range where there could be some relatively dangerous ordinance out there. And so we would go out and help the environmental scientists out there doing water testing or whatever else they're doing it. That early on in my career, you know, I didn't really think too much about it. But then I guess it kind of piqued the interest mm-hmm. or piqued the curiosity of it. And then about halfway through my career, I realized, you know, like, hey, I need to start getting going with school and stuff like that. But at that point in time, kind of, it's like, oh, this environmental science stuff's pretty interesting. Yeah. And then started connecting the dots, like, hey, getting rid of ordinance and cleaning this kind of stuff up, you know, has a pretty positive uh, environmental impact. So I said, just decided to expand on it with an environmental science degree. And then once that started, I just kept going with it. Yeah. And so finished my 
environmental, my undergraduate environmental science, the Air Force pays through tuition assistance to get mm-hmm. go through a master's. So I use my tuition assistance to finish a master's degree in it. Again, more is environmental policy and management and then focused on one of the early environmental law uh, acts that was passed, the National Environmental Policy Act. Mm-hmm. And so that's what forces environmental or federal agencies. So anytime there's a federal aid, action they need to do environmental impact statements and assessments and stuff like that and so at that point in time in my career and education I'm like okay so environmental law is pretty interesting yeah Um, and so now that I'm retired using my GI bill to keep school going and then uh, hopefully getting a law degree will really help uh, equip me better to engage you know, environmental issues here in the future. Right. So you retired and then you moved to, well, you retired when you were in uh, outside Dayton. Is that right? Yes. And so then you and the family moved here to Cleveland. Yep. And did you start school right away? Uh, I retired in August and then I started school on August, I think, 21st. Okay, great. So, so you are not really that interested in taking breaks, huh? No. I don't, yeah. I, I feel like I didn't have a choice. So I feel like there was a sense of urgency. Sure. And so, so yeah, no breaks. You're at Case Western Reserve University, which is a great school. What made you yeah. pick Case? So Case, uh, originally, so when I was planning on retiring, I was in Japan with the family. Uh, circumstances got us back to Wright-Patterson. My wife's from the Cleveland area. And so great support network here for us, great support network for my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have had a fast-paced life, too, because they've been following yeah. me around. Uh, so get them into a place where Avon Lake, great schools. Yeah. They're having a ball there. We're around family, and that brought us here. But initially, we were kind of like looking around the area or different schools and looking at strong like environmental law programs. And so this was around like 2020 timeframe, 2021 timeframe. And Case Western recently opened up a center for environmental law, mm. and they got a massive endowment uh, donation from – Coleman uh, P. Burke, and so they recently opened up an environmental law center. And so I was really intrigued by that even before we decided to come to Cleveland. And so I think it's an awesome opportunity to go to, one, to go to school there. Really thankful that they're willing to admit me and (laughs) let me, you know, study the law there. And then I think it's also really interesting, and I think Cleveland should have a really uh, robust environmental law program somewhere in the city because this is kind of where it all started. Yeah, totally. I'm curious why law school. You kind of gave us some of that. You know, you did your master's and there was some public policy and law can absolutely lead into that, but there's a mm-hmm. million ways you can address. You know, you could be doing journalism, you could be doing activism, you could be working at a university. So why law specifically? That is a really good question. Um, and it is very challenging too. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, and hopefully it equips me to do it. But law too, I think one, it helps fight for the environment too. And I mentioned how EOD kind of influenced the environmental decisions and all that other kind of stuff. But also from a, a military perspective, I think a law degree, one, helps me fight for, potentially fight for the environment and make, hopefully make some huge changes somewhere someday. Uh, making some environmental change, but also you see how those environments can influence and impact veterans as well. Right. And so kind of interchangeable, like, yeah, I want to fight for the environment, but I also feel like uh, when I enlisted, there's just such a huge, uh, such a massive amount of patriotism 
uh, and then I was an enlisted too. So I joined right at 18 and was part of the enlisted force. And just you meet a lot of really inspiring people that join to do the right thing. Uh, and then, you know, like you kind of witness a lot of sacrifices and stuff like that. And so I hope to use it to also advocate for veterans mm-hmm. and then kind of continue that purpose after retiring of hopefully helping veterans out as well. Yeah. And then the veteran thing and the environment thing kind of intersect as as well too because you see legislation uh legislation legislation <laughs> legislation legislation <laughs> about like the pact act too and so when you look at the pact act you have all these service members exposed to toxic burn pits smoke mm-hmm. agent orange all that other kind of stuff like that's mm-hmm. it those are environmental issues directly impacting veterans yeah can we back up a bit in case anyone mm-hmm. doesn't know what the pact act is can you give us a little more background on that uh it's essentially like you have we've had these wars over the years mm-hmm. we go into places like vietnam iraq afghanistan and stuff like that and so when you're going about the operations and you're on these bases trash needs to go somewhere mm-hmm. and then on top of that you're going in there and disrupting infrastructure. Right. You don't necessarily have the landfills and then what we're used to in America. And so that has to go somewhere. And so back in the war on terror especially, uh, you burn the garbage. Mm-hmm. And so all that stuff gets into the air and then you breathe it in and it causes a lot of negative impacts to people with cancer and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so luckily we that was passed and hopefully it does right by a lot of veterans and making sure they're getting the care that they want. But just seeing stuff like that contributes to the inspiration to try to do the environmental and the law thing represent it too. And I think another thing probably pops up on people's social media is the Camp Lejeune Water Act. Yeah. Uh, or Camp Lejeune lawsuit where right. there's the water issue there. You see the water issues in Pearl Harbor and the news where the fuel leaked into the water. Right. Uh, just tragic stuff. You see stuff on the news about base housing yeah. and privatized housing. And just from my experience, especially from the enlisted side of it, you see these people join with the best intentions, and I want to make sure that I continue that and hopefully can use this degree and effort to like help that and then make sure that mm-hmm. the next generation's joining, uh, that we put a, a strong concentration of their living in places that you know are environmentally friendly yeah. and good for essentially just families and stuff. When you talked about base housing, can you tell us a little bit about that? You don't have to make any specific calls if you don't want to, but what does it mean for families, for veterans and their families? Uh, what does bad base housing look like from an environmental perspective? Um, I think when you see the housing issues, it's just making sure they're maintained. One of the big mm-hmm. things you'll see, again, on social media and then also in the news is like a lot of places will have black mold problems yeah. because they don't have you know, like right ventilation or whatever it is, um, where they're built. Like if you're on an old base, like making sure they're not in an old area that's just toxic, yeah. uh, free of asbestos, free mm-hmm. of lead bathtubs. Yes. You know, free yeah. of just things that normal people should be living with. Right. And then for families that are living on bases, Families don't have to live on base, but there can be benefits or reasons that families do. So do you feel like uh, service people and their families have less choice? Like if you are assigned somewhere and there's bad military housing. Absolutely. And so I think with the military too, yeah, you can live off base. And a lot of people do have opportunities to live off base. But 
you also are moving around a lot. Yes. And so you'll see things, changes in the housing markets and stuff like that, which can make it very challenging, especially for, like I mentioned, the lower enlisted. Yes. So when you're lower enlisted and you're enlisted, sometimes when you're, you know, a new sergeant coming up and you have a new family, it could be tough to afford a house off base. Yeah. And so you got to live on base. Yeah. And they'll give you an assignment. I mean, depending on the base, but you can walk in and they'll say, this is your house. Yep. This uh, is your house. Not really a lot of choice. When I was in college, I worked for a private company on a military base. And my job was to move soldiers in and out of their homes with their families and make sure that everything was good for them. But I can tell you from my experience, most of, is it good for them was like, is it clean? Um, do all the doors and windows work and not so much like I was a 19 year old and I was doing inspections. So maybe not always the best situation to make sure that that housing quality is really there. Yeah. And so just, you see the impacts there. Uh, and then, like I said, the EOD stuff, and then just kind of all intertwining it together. I don't mm -hmm. know what issues I'll end up battling, but hopefully it'll be something along those lines. Yeah, definitely. I, I know we're jumping back a little bit, but I just kept realizing that I didn't ask this question that I think is important. When you talk about uh, responsibly cleaning up some of these ordinances and other hazardous waste, what does that look like? I mean, if it's irresponsible to leave it, like what are we doing with it instead? Yeah, well, there's so many different situations that go along with it. Mm -hmm. And so you have the war zone things. Mm -hmm. That's pretty straightforward. You know, you drop something or somebody throws a grenade or you launch artillery and it doesn't go off. Mm -hmm. Or we saw a lot in Afghanistan and Iraq to stockpiles of old weapons. Mm -hmm. And so that probably is the easiest explanation is you see an old stockpile of weapons, one of EOD's jobs, they call it weapon caches. You find one of these old weapons caches, we'll take it out, kind of stack it up, and then we'll detonate it with explosives. Mm. And so it eliminates that hazard, and then the explosion should consume all the old explosives and then the hazards that then go along with it. Got it. So sometimes the way to clean it up is just to blow everything up. Yeah, just blow it all up. <laughs> That's yeah. not what I was expecting you to say, but yeah. you know, I'm learning a lot. Um, and then, like, then there's other situations, too. You'll see... In the states I mentioned on bombing ranges is so we'll go out there and essentially you pick it up and then you stack it up mm -hmm. uh, and again you put explosives on it and then the explosion consumes it and then sounds like a dangerous yeah. job uh, it can be dangerous but also really exciting I think uh, there are a lot of young boys or men out there that would think that hey getting paid to blow something up is pretty <laughs> I think that's probably what motivated my little brother to join too but <laughs> yeah so I mean there's definitely fun things about it, it can be pretty dangerous but you get a lot of uh, you take a lot of safety precautions and safety measures that really reduces it. So yeah, yeah. Although it didn't a hundred percent help you because I think you told me you are a Purple Heart recipient. Is that right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so safety precautions, yeah. but still there's risk. Yeah. Sometimes you can't find all of them. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um, that yep. So I one of my trips to Afghanistan in a on a convoy and end up our vehicle ended up finding one. So. Mm. He yeah. says with a smile. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, still here and just thankful, you know, to be able to live through the experience and, again, have the opportunity to be at the point where I could retire from it mm -hmm. and then hopefully give back to the next generation that hopefully doesn't go through that kind of stuff. But if they do uh, know that there's people out there that want to help them and yeah. make sure that everything's being done right for them. I love that. So I'm excited for you to continue with your law school career and then become a 
a cool lawyer doing a lot of work on the environment and uh, and also for veterans. But if if someone watching thinks that they want to go down that same kind of path, what advice would you give them as far as like picking the right school for them or getting into law school if, if that's the way that they want to do their advocacy? Um, from like going from the military to law school or yeah, just yeah. anybody? From well, I guess the- maybe anybody, but you know, you've got this really specific desire to serve both environmental causes and veterans in this really interesting intersection. So if someone else feels like you do, what, what would you say um, to them? I would say there's, I think this is like kind of goes a couple different directions. I think if you're enlisted and you didn't have a degree when you signed up that you need to do your degree and start right now. Mm-hmm. So sign up, do your degree right now because it's going to open a lot of doors when you get out. Do you hear that, little brother? Yeah. <laughs> do your degree right now. There's no reason not to. So they give you what's called tuition assistance. Start your degree. Do the best you can. Yeah. Get good grades yeah. and then go with that. Yeah. And then I think my perspective's a little bit different from somebody that tr- does it the traditional path to it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really interesting, really rewarding. And I just, now that I'm at this phase of my life, just appreciate the, the privilege to be able to kind of learn more about it. Yeah. Well, Doug, I feel like I could ask you a thousand more questions, but I know we don't have time for that today. So it's been wonderful talking to you. I learned a lot and I hope others did too. Um, I, I'm really excited about the work that you're doing uh, or maybe the work that you're going to be doing right yes. now. You're taking uh, constitutional law and <laughs> figuring yeah. out the basics. I'm glad, glad to take talk about like EOD stuff, but I'm really new to the law stuff. Yeah, so definitely. let's get some experience there first. We'll, we'll get you in after you do an internship and see how things are going. Yeah, but absolutely. Until then, thank you so much for coming and sharing your experiences with me. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I'm going to let everybody know how they can keep up to date with our show. Sound good? Definitely. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Thank you. If you'd like to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on TikTok at ATG Show. And if you'd like to rewatch full episodes, check out our YouTube channel, All Things Green Show. You can find all of our sources from today's episode in our show notes. All Things Green will be back at the same time next week. Thank you, Doug, for being a part of the global sustainability movement. Definitely thank you.